I want to welcome all of those who are worshiping with us today, either over in Rejoice or by the way of live streaming. I suspect we have a rather large contingent on a morning like this, uh, tuning in by the way of their television. So we're glad that you've done that, and we hope this service is meaningful to you in your Christian life. Our second lesson today is taken from the book of Joshua, uh, the last chapter. If you brought your Bible with you, raise it up. We have a few, but not many. That's one of the things I want to try to change, okay? <laughs> when I was in Charleston, an usher told me one day, he said, you know how we spot visitors to the church? I said, how? He said, they have a Bible with them when they come. I said, that's a sad commentary, isn't it, on the, on the church? So it's supposed to be a tool, so bring your Bible with you, or if you need to, you can look up the passage in the Pew Bible. Today, uh, this is on page 215. Let us listen for the Word of God. And I'm going to read uh, the 28 verses of this. It's a rather long passage, but I think we should hear the whole of it. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago... Your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what... I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I handed them over to you. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he blessed you, so I rescued you out of his hand." Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and towns that you had not built, and you live in them, and you eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, and as I told our early worship crowd, if you're reading the scripture and you come across the word therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Okay, because it's always something significant. It's always based on what has just preceded it and what usually the response of God's people should be. Now, therefore... Revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God and he is a jealous God. He will not forgive transgressions or sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that, you, that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak in the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, see this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you if you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away to their inheritances. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may know, or perhaps you don't, maybe you can tell just by what you've heard in worship thus far, that this is a special Sunday in the course of the Christian year. The first Sunday after Epiphany is known on the liturgical calendar as the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. It is a time for remembering and reflecting upon two baptisms, really, The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. We'll look at that more come February. Actually, next next Sunday morning, I'm going to be standing in the Jordan River doing a renewal of baptismal vials with about nearly 60 other Presbyterians that will gather there. But it's not just the Lord's baptism that this day focuses on. It's our own baptism. It's time for us to remember that. And to recall what God has promised us and in turn what we have promised God. So it's not just a time for remembering and reflecting. It's a time actually for us as God's people to renew those promises. To reclaim, reaffirm and commit ourselves once again to the promises once made. When we first profess faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Or when we first united with the Christian church wherever and whenever that happened to be. The timing seemed right to me to include this renewal of baptismal vows as a part of our service today for many reasons. Our confirmation class has begun meeting. They are now exploring what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ, 
and a member of the church. And the two are not necessarily the same. We might say they ought to be the same, but you and I know that just have your name on the roll of a church doesn't mean you're Christian. should mean that, but not necessarily. Just like standing in a car in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. You can be in church but not really have dealt with your own faith. But it was just a cultural thing you went through. You joined the church because it was expected and now that's a part of your resume. But it's not just our confirmation class that prompts this sermon today. Our children, the second graders, met this morning and they were talking about baptism, asking uh, with their parents' help to learn something about the day on which they were baptized, anything their parents could remember, what made that day special, because it is special. It's one of the most special days in the life of any person when you're baptized, because that means God has put his mark on you. You've been claimed in the waters of baptism. You belong to God. Sometimes you may forget that when you do remember your baptism. It's a very important sacrament. There was a little book written back in 1904 by Virginia Carey Hudson. I checked with Nancy. It's not in our church library. It's not in the public library. But I'll bet some of the older ones among us have a copy of this little book in your library. <coughs> it was called O Ye Jigs and Juleps. A little thin book. And it was written by this little 10-year-old girl. I think she was from Virginia, but she was in a Christian boarding school. And it's just a 10-year-old's perspective on life and faith uh, at the end of the 19th century. And so at one point in the book, she's talking about what a sacrament is. And this is what she writes. Sacraments are what you do in church. What you do at home is something else. Cooking and sewing and running the Bissell sweeper and eating and sleeping and praying and scrubbing yourself are not sacraments. But when you're little and ugly and somebody carries you into church on a pillow and you come out a child of God and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven and they pour water on you, now that's a sacrament. Isn't that great? But it's not just for the benefit of children and youth that we renew our baptismal vows today because we adults need reminders also, do we not? We need to do this from time to time in the church. I understand you've had a service such as this at some points in the past, but it's not something that's done annually. I thought it made sense to do so, especially now, because this congregation is in time of transition. You're going to be surveyed very soon by our mission study committee. They're going to want your input on what the church is to be and do going forward. Not only what is the DNA of this church, what it's been in the past, but what are you hoping it will be and become in the future? And not just the church, but you too. What do you expect to be and become in service to Jesus Christ going forward? Wallace Alston, I think Wallace was actually a minister in Durham, North Carolina, if I'm correct, uh, many years ago. But he's a friend of mine. And when I was in a previous church in Tennessee, I invited Wallace to come down from Princeton and uh, have a series of services for us, which he did. And as a part of that service, he made a point that I've thought about nearly every year in the life and work of the church, especially as a pastor. Wallace argued that in the Christian faith, we ought to have to re-up every year when the calendar changes, re-enlist as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's because he was convinced that Christians tend to forget what they once promised, once, what they once committed to do and to be. And so in a sense, Wallace was ar arguing for the inclusion of a service of baptismal renewal 
long before we even had such a service as a part of our Book of Common Worship when it was revised a couple of decades ago. So this affords us the opportunity, really, as we sit here on these pews this early in the year. Do we remember our vows? Are we living out our vows? Do we intend to do so? Jesus found encouragement and comfort in his baptism. Again, we'll look at that later in February. But it also helped him to focus on what he should be and do. Not enough time to go into that. But in the Protestant faith, and in the Reformed faith in particular, we take baptism very seriously. Or we should. Maybe we haven't always. But Martin Luther argued that... uh, A person should renew his baptism each and every day, should put his hand on his head and say, I am a child of God, and today I'm going to live out my baptism. And Luther says that in his dark night of the soul, when he was going through times of doubt and disbelief and despair, he took great comfort in the knowledge that God had baptized him, that God had claimed him before he could respond in any way. And John Calvin certainly talks about baptism in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. And he argues that despite our propensity toward evil, the good news is that we have the potential to be faithful and obedient. We all fail for which we can be forgiven. But at least we are people who can enter into a covenant. We can make promises. And nothing so shapes our lives as individuals or as Christians as those promises which we have received and believed And those promises we have made to others, other people, and promises to God as well. And this is one of the things that distinguishes human beings from all others in the animal kingdom. We can make and keep promises. Have you ever thought about that? My dog may do something good for me, but he can't promise he's going to do something good for me down the road. But we can make promises. We can even make promises that are out of accord with our own best interest or our desires or our wishes for the sake of a larger and a greater good, we are, in fact, covenanters. We enter into covenants all of the time. Maybe this is part of what is meant by being created in the image of God. Like our God, we can enter into a covenant agreement. And the whole of Scripture is about covenants. The Old Covenant, called the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, called the New Testament. And from time to time, the people had to remember, because they would forget, what God had promised to them and what God expected of them in return, and then they would re-up. They would say, yes, we will obey, we will believe, we will serve God alone. So we make promises at significant times in our lives. When our children are baptized, we make promises. When we join the church, we make promises. When we join a professional or civic organization, we make promises with respect to what we're going to do and be. When we become U.S. citizens, we make promises. When we join the military, we make certain promises and obligations. We are covenant-making people. So today, here at the beginning of a new year, at the commencement of a new season in the life of this congregation, in this transition to new leadership from the old to the new, it is a good time, I think, to simply recall
promises we have made and whether or not we intend by God's grace to keep those promises. One of the things that is required of a, an interim pastor is that he review the roles of the church with the session, that you try to ascertain before new leadership comes in who's really with us and who is not, who takes their discipleship and their membership seriously, who can be counted on to give of their time and their talents and their treasures, to come to worship, to participate in studies, to help lead in the ministries of the church and be a leader both in the church and in the community. Who can you really count on? As we consider our baptismal vows and promises, it gives us the opportunity to say, Lord, you can count on me. I want to be a part of this community of faith, this company of the committed, as I like to call it, which is a phrase from Elton Trueblood. Now, it may be timely and appropriate that we renew our covenant vows, our baptismal vows this morning. Maybe it's a new thing in the Presbyterian church. It wasn't in there until recent decades. But I assure you, it's nothing new. What I read to you from Joshua, the 24th chapter, was the first time the covenant was renewed after the people had entered the land of promise. And just look at what happened. Joshua read to the people, or reminded the people, told the story of their redemption, the whole saga of God's grace and goodness to Israel. Going back really to the beginning, this is one of the unique things about this covenant renewal ceremony, because this goes all the way back to Abraham. And God, through Joshua, reminds the people that I took your ancestors from serving other gods, brought them to this land. Usually most of the covenant renewal services go back to the time of Jacob. My father was a wandering Aramean, the scripture says, and you rehearse the story of redemption. And then you say, okay, because of what God has done for us, what are we willing to do for God? And so the people reaffirm their commitment to God. Yes, we will serve. We will obey God alone. We will serve God alone and not the other gods about us in our culture. In other covenant renewal services, sacrifices are offered. Sometimes the whole book of the law is read. Basically, the whole book of Deuteronomy, if you can remember, imagine standing while the whole book, if you had a problem with my reading 28 verses, just imagine you have to read the whole book of Deuteronomy before you make your commitment. Because the book of Deuteronomy spells out what is expected of God's people to live as distinctive and different in that land and in that culture. And if you live in faithfulness, you'll be rewarded. You will be blessed. Read the close of Deuteronomy this afternoon. If you don't obey God, if you serve other gods, these are the curses you can expect. And so the way this would happen, this is fascinating. Uh, it was in Shechem, which is modern-day Nablus, if you ever go to Israel to visit. I hope we get to go there. Sometimes you can go and sometimes you can't because of unrest in the land. But if you go to Nablus today, you'll see the two hills. There's Mount Gerizim on one side of town, and there's Mount Ebal on the other. Mount Gerizim is the Mount of Blessing. Mount Ebal is the Mount of Curse. So half the tribes would stand on Mount Gerizim at the base of it, and half stand on Mount Ebal. They would read the law, how the blessings could come in front of Gerizim, and they'd read uh, what could happen if they don't obey God and follow his law and the curses that could follow and it's the two mountains themselves are symbolic of two 
ways of coming to God and to faith and to life. You either are obedient and you are blessed. You or society is blessed. People are blessed through you. Or you experience the curses of life. The mountain of curse is barren and stark. The mountain of blessing is verdant and forested. So it's a symbolic and dramatic depiction of what could happen for good or ill as the covenant is renewed. The covenant renewal is also a public witness. Other people see it. When we're baptized, it's always a public thing. We don't baptize privately except for very rare circumstances because it's a witness to the community. The whole f- community takes faith, place, takes part in the baptismal service. You make promises when children are baptized. I like every now and then to ask people to raise their hand if they're promising to raise and support this child and say to the family, turn around and look because these are your Sunday school teachers and these, these are people that are going to contribute to the life and ministry of this church. They got their hands raised. Don't put your hand down. You're promising to care for this child and to raise this child as a child of God and as a disciple of Christ in time. So as we renew our baptismal vows today, it's a time for each of us to say, well, what am I going to be and do by God's grace in the coming year? Am I going to keep my promises? Is it going to show? Or am I going to have certain arenas of my life that are going to be off limits for God? Thank you, God, but I'll run those affairs myself. But you see, God wants to be in control of everything in your life. He wants to be a presence. He wants to be a, a director in how you spend your money, how you use your time, how you run your business. Are you ethical and honest in your business practices? In your family, are you loving and forgiving? In your church, do you take an active role? Do you use what God has entrusted to you to make a difference to the world at large and to your fellow Christians? And as we go about this, I think we are strengthened and inspired for, for more, not only more effective discipleship, but more fulfilling discipleship. It means more to us as well. And when temptations come and when trials come upon us as they invariably will, we are in a better position to remember who we are and whose we are and who has claimed us in the waters of baptism. In closing, we're going to ask that you do something different today. We've moved the baptismal font down front where people enter and leave, many of us, and this is true over in uh, Rejoice as well. We would simply encourage you as you leave the sanctuary today and think about going through a renewal of your own covenant of grace with God through Jesus Christ, that you dip your hands in the water And just as a visible and tangible sign that you've already been claimed by God. And he is waiting for you simply to live out that claim uh, through discipleship in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.